All right, we're going to be, I wanted to, uh, Randy's not here tonight, uh, thank Randy for doing this the last Wednesday night, he, he did it, this is a, or the, the last one we had, we had BBS last week, so we didn't have one, so it's been a couple of weeks since I've been here, so we're in uh, Leviticus chapter 23 uh, tonight, and uh, I'm proud of Randy, he said, I got his chapter done while you Yeah, he did. I said, okay, I said, uh, we're not in a foot race, so. We'll get wherever, however far we can, but we're in uh, 23. Before we get started, uh, I will give you an update on Steve. I heard from Steve Corley, uh, his sister's keeping me updated on his progress, and they got him off of the ventilator, and he got up and sat in the chair today. So, yeah, that, for somebody who had a lung transplant two days ago, that's that's good. And so, uh, well, I say two days ago, he had his lung transplant Sunday. Sunday is when he had his lung transplant. So he, he just had it a few days, but he's off the ventilator, and they said that if he kept progressing, that they would uh, uh, take, start taking the tubes, the IVs, and everything else off of him. So that's really good news, and uh, they'll keep him in ICU till that happens, and then he'll go to rehab. So uh, he. He, uh, I haven't talked to him, but I'm sure as soon as he gets to where he can talk very, pretty good, I'll get a call from him. Did you happen to hear how long the surgery was? That was it was not quite as long as they thought it was going to be. I think it was wound up being a four to five hour somewhere okay. in that, that neighborhood. So uh, it, it wasn't as long as they thought it was going to be. So everything went really, really well. The way the doctor described it, it was cool because the doctor called was the one that called his sister, the surgeon, and he said it went beautifully. Right. The way he put it. So how could it go any other way with that church bread, boy? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, that's uh, that's an update on, on him. Miss Patsy's at home, and uh, so if you get a chance to give Patsy a call. We'll give her a call and and uh, kind of spur her on just a little bit. It's easy to get depressed when you when you're at home and she got a dog though, I'm telling you, if you go over there, you better like dogs is all I can tell you because you're going to have to like that one. <laughs> you leave there with marks on you. I got it on me where you love, she loved me. And Sister Kay, is, uh, they were still working uh, on her insurance trying to get her into physical therapy and uh, they hadn't told her yet whether they're going to allow her to go to physical therapy. Uh, they're having to argue with the insurance. As a matter of fact, the insurance are denied it, and uh, so they got an appeal in, and the doctor's trying to help them uh, get in that. They said she really needed physical therapy at a, at a, at a facility that specializes in that. And uh, they were kind of wanting to put her in the nursing home uh, care facility, and she told me, she said, that's what they're going to do, I'll just go home. And there you go. So. Anyway, she, she really needs some rehab on her legs. She can't put any weight on it. Now, she's set up two or three times, but uh, that's, uh, that's what's going on with her. So we need to be in prayer for each one of them. And uh, there's, there's others that, that need our prayers too. And, uh, and we need to really pray for each other. Amen. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And uh, we'll start in uh, chapter 23 of Leviticus. Brother James Hill, will you... See, he ain't been here this week, so he's going to pray now. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, God, we thank you for the opportunity to be back in your house, our Lord. Just 
thank you for the opportunity to be here and hear your word there, Lord. Just uh, be with us as, as uh, we listen to Gary there and, and speak through him as, as, uh, as you'll have him to speak there, Lord. Just uh, be with us all. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. I just tell you, Brother David. We I, need, I, to, I know we need to be. pray for James, too, because that doctor is finally thinking he's getting to the root of what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he finds out. Yeah, I hope he does too. All right, chapter 23 of Leviticus, we're going to be talking about the feast and the, the different celebrations that the Lord has commanded uh, Moses to tell the children of Israel that he wants them to do. So if I get somebody to read for me uh, verses 1 through 5, please. 1 through 5. The Lord spoke again to Moses. I'm reading out the NSA. Uh, now go ahead. Okay, the Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's anointed, uh, the appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocation, may, uh, my appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. Uh, you shall not do any work, it is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed times for the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month of the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Okay, so we, we, we read this and, and you see that the Lord is really uh, strict concerning what he calls the uh, holy uh, convocations. That means the the celebrations that he's telling them to do, he wants them to make sure that even during these celebrations, they adhere to the Sabbath day. That's the reason that he starts off with the Sabbath. Now, during this time frame, the Sabbath day was a, a very holy time, and the Lord was really, really strict when it came to the Sabbath during this time. Now, remember, the children of Israel is not in their promised land. They're still going through the desert. They have they have kind of come out of Egypt, uh, and, and so the, the there's a lot going on right now with them. And so he's very strict on everything that he tells them to do. He really he really has them to follow it to the T. And he's trying to uh, forewarn them, even at this time, that I want to make sure that you do these things concerning the feast of, uh, of the Lord uh, and, and the, 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 the time of the holy uh, convocations. Uh, that, that you do all these things the way I want you to do them. It was of utmost importance. And we've already talked about uh, all these feasts and all these, uh, these sacrifices and all the things that are done are all a picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so he, Jesus Christ was a perfect man, the only one that ever lived uh, a perfect life. He, he led a sinless life. And so the, the reason the Lord starts off, I think, so strict on this night, as time goes on, and a lot of people disagree with me on this, but, but it seems like that, that somebody, when they violated the Sabbath, unless somebody had them killed, the, they just didn't die for it. And we find out later on that, uh, that, uh, on the, uh, that, that uh, David goes into the holy place and he eats the, the bread that was supposed to be for the priest and the, the Lord made an allowance for that because he was so hungry. And so uh, we find that later on the Lord begins to have allowances, but at this time he's very strict. 
Uh, there's going to be a time when there's a man just goes out to pick up some sticks on, on the Sabbath day, and they're going to stone him for that. And so these are the things, that, and so he, he's very adamant at this point that he wants this stuff uh, done. And, and, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of like when you go to school and you, you, you take math. If you don't get the very basics of, a, of math or you don't get the very basics of science, I didn't get English, by the way. When you don't get the basics of those, you never get it. Okay? So the Lord has given them the basics of, of what he wants them to do, and it's, they got to get it. Because if they don't get it now, they'll never get it right. Now, they're going to make a mess of it as it is later on down the road. But he wants them to really know how he feels about this. And he don't really even give them reasons why. Because he's God, he don't have to give us reasons why. He just, when he says it, we do it. And he's showing them that that's the way they're going to have to live. When I say it, you're going to do it. So he begins to talk to, Moses begins to talk to them about the Sabbath. Uh, when you think about the Sabbath. Did the Sabbath during the day of Christ lose some of its luster? Had it lost anything or does it lose anything because of Christ? That's a, that's a hard question, isn't it? But when you think about it, there was a lot of things that Christ did on the Sabbath that they wanted to stone him for. What were some of the things he did? Eating on Sabbath. He healed people. They went pull corn on the Sabbath, didn't they? And ate on the Sabbath. And, and he was really uh, under a lot of condemnation for those uh, acts that he and his disciples did on the Sabbath day to, to a point where they got to watching him on the Sabbath day just to see how he was going to violate the Sabbath. Now let me ask you this. Jesus was God. How can God violate the Sabbath? He can't because he's God. Well, you know, Brother Gary, you know, they talk about rest, the Sabbath, you know, day of rest, you know, they talk about, well, if God rested on the Sabbath, what would have happened? What would happen if he rested? He rested on the Sabbath, you know, but if he didn't do anything on the Sabbath, what would happen? He just let everything just go. Just everything go. He's just like, I'm not doing anything. The God's explanation of rest on the Sabbath, he didn't need to rest. That's right. He don't have to sleep. He don't have to do any of those things. So he gave that day for people and men to rest, and he intended for them to do that. But when Jesus came, do you remember the explanation that he gave to those Pharisees that stood up to him about the Sabbath day and the violation of the Sabbath day? What did Jesus tell them? He owns the Sabbath. He said, I'm the God of the Sabbath. Yeah. But he also said, man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given for man. And then he went on to tell them about situations in their own lives where on the Sabbath day, if they had an ox in the ditch, they would go rescue the ox. If they had this happen, they'd go do that. And, and, and then he even said this, because Jesus Christ was going to become our high priest, the highest of all. He's the high priest. That's the reason we don't have to have a priest anymore. He is our priest. He is our high priest. And he made a remark that those priests worked on the Sabbath day. When they did the, the, the work of the priest was on the Sabbath day. And so he was trying to get them to see that we had to have mercy and compassion on people when they had issues, even on the Sabbath day, that, that there was allowances that God would make 
and would not hold people accountable for doing things on the Sabbath. And also that he was working on that day just like the priests worked on but They never got that, okay? Because he was going to be our high priest. And so whatever the priestly duties, and he was changing those duties because the priests weren't going to be killing bulls and goats and sheep anymore. I was thinking to come to an end for those who followed Christ because he was going to become the bulls, the sheep, and the goats. He was going to die for us. But those things, other priestly duties, the things that they needed to do, laying on the hand, being the elder, uh, bringing healing, he was, he was doing those very things that they could see. And they wanted to hold that against him. So, so when you look at look, look at the Sabbath, he says that uh, the Sabbath uh, uh, is is the day of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. So this was the commandment that Moses gave to them. And like I said, Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled all of these obligations. And and you know what? We don't even worship on the Sabbath day anymore. The Sabbath day was Saturday. Sunday is the first day of the week in the Old Testament. It's the or seventh day of the week. It is the Sabbath day. <laughs> now we worship uh, Saturday, I mean. Saturday was the seventh day. So now we worship on the first day of the week. Why? It's the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, he rose. And that's the, the, the resurrection is, is, is one of the basic foundations of the church. Without the resurrection, all of the rest of it was done in vain. That's according to the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And as a result of that, we worship and we have our services on the first day. Sunday. And so that's why we do that today. And we all need to know that. Okay? We all need to know that. Alright, now the next one that's mentioned here in verse 5 is the Passover. Now, it's interesting to me that it only gives one little verse. And it says, uh, in the 14th day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. Now, he mentions this Passover, and we're going to see in a little bit why all of these holidays are so important in the beginning. He wanted them to get it right. He wanted them to observe them because every one of them was going to have a very big purpose when Jesus Christ came. Okay, so the Passover. What is significant about the Passover? What, what is the Passover? What's this a celebration of? Israel coming out of Egypt. God bringing Israel out of the land of Egypt. The firstborn died. The blood. <clears throat> right. The blood on the doorpost. Right. And, and he gave specific instruction for that day on the food they were to eat, that, that they were to kill the lamb, that they were to do all this, that they were to put the blood over the doorpost, the top and the side, and go in and no matter what happened, do not come out. I saw something interesting the other day, and I don't even remember where I saw it, and it said that the, the when the, the, the death angel passed over, he didn't even look at the people on the inside. He didn't care whether they were thieves and liars or he didn't care what they were. He looked at the blood on the doorpost. And when he saw the blood, he kept going. 
that's cool that when you think about what that means to us because sometimes people tell tell us that we need to be perfect well we need to try to be perfect but we can't be perfect i wish we could is any of y'all perfect now some of you think you are i know but let me tell you you're not and neither were they and if not for the blood of that passover they would have died their firstborn would have died just like the egyptians so this was the great celebration of the of the of the victory of the blood of of, of the passover lamb and so uh, when, when uh, we, we look in the, in, in the New Testament then, what, what does this have to do with Christ? When did Christ die? What was he in Jerusalem to celebrate when they arrested him? The Passover. The Passover. It was the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And he made a remark to them in Luke. He said, I have looked forward to the day when I could celebrate this meal with y'all. And then after when he started eating, he said, but I'll not eat it again with you here. It's going to be in, in glory. And I'm paraphrasing. But it's going to be in glory. So that was the significance of the Passover was that that same lamb that died in Egypt he would become that lamb and die for us. And we don't have to be perfect. We're covered in the blood. Amen? And so that's what this is all about. And 1 Corinthians uh, uh, tells us, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, at the end of that verse, it says that Christ is our Passover that was sacrificed for us. Okay? So he became, he... he he became the Passover lamb. What he became. He celebrated with those disciples that meal because it was so important. It was important in this day. It was that important to Jesus. He was excited because he knew it was his last meal. And he was going to get to pick, he was going to get to have it with those that had been chosen for him by the Father. And so he, he was excited about that and he was also sad because it was going to be the last meal he would partake of. The thing about it is, the disciples didn't know exactly where Jesus was going. Listen to me. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. But before he could go back, he had a mission to accomplish. He had to become the Passover lamb for me. It wasn't easy on him. He, he, he struggled with it because he was still in the flesh. He was a man. Yet he succumbed to it and, and and gave his life, he said, voluntarily. Remember what he said in John? He said, no man takes my life from me. I give it away. And my Father has given me the power, I love this part, to take it back. Amen. That's what the resurrection was is the power that he had to take his life and give his life back to himself. And so that's what had, had transpired. That's what the Passover, although one little verse, that's what it signifies and then what it, what it stands for, Old Testament fulfilled in New Testament by Jesus Christ, okay? All right, so let's, uh, any questions about this or comments you'd like to make? All these rules, 
in themselves are attainable. I mean, should be. They're humanly possible. But nobody's able to keep all of them. And I think, to me, that's what it's saying, is he give them all these rules to show them. In one of them, it's, I mean, any one of them by itself is not difficult to follow. But nobody's perfect and nobody can keep all these rules. So it's showing these the Israelites that, and the Jews that, hey, but the Pharisees thought they could in Jesus' day. You know, they prided themselves in keeping these rules. And, but they fell so short. There's no way we, can, we could earn our salvation, is what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. even though they thought they could. Mm -hmm. You know, that Jesus had to, has to be our, because nobody can follow all these rules. Right. And men took these rules, these sacrifices, these lambs, these bulls, and turned it into a profitable business. Yeah. To the point where they swindled people. That's what the, the overturn of the money changers table was. Those people brought foreign currencies because on these celebrations the Jews had been dispersed over the world and they all came back to Jerusalem for this event, mm -hmm. for these events. And they would bring the currency of the nation they lived in. And they would exchange that currency uh, at the temple and for a profit. In other words, I'll give you $5 and you'll give me uh, $3 worth of, uh, of money and your, uh, your money for it. And they were, so they were getting rich off of it. And then in turn, they were, because they didn't bring those animals with them from a foreign country to sacrifice, so in turn, the priests, the Pharisees, were selling them the animals that they wanted to sacrifice. And they were allowing them to sacrifice even less than perfect animals. And most of these sacrifices required a perfect lamb or any other animal without spot or blemish and they were doing letting them do sick diseased lame animals that, that weren't that the priests were accepting that and and the, and the when when God saw that you remember what God said that the, that the blood of bulls and goats was no longer satisfactory to him because they had taken those sacrifices and made something unholy out of it and that's what had happened in Jesus' day. That's why he called those Pharisees every kind of name that exactly. horrible names. Right. And, and because that's who they had become. And they had received, received the power. When he said that the Pharisees had, had robbed uh, the offering, the tithe and the offering, he wasn't talking about that they were they were uh, that they weren't given their tithes and offering because he, he said that they even tied on the mint that they would grow in their gardens. They were adamant about putting the ties in. They wanted people to see them put the ties in. The problem was they controlled the tithes in the temple. So they used the tithing money to profit themselves with. And that's what he was talking about, about stealing and they would steal land from widows. They would, and he, he, boy, he just told them all that stuff. He knew what they were doing. Right. And so this is the type of people that, that they had become and what those sacrifices didn't mean anything right. anymore. God wasn't accepting them because they had not even taught the people how to do it correctly. And so that's what this is all about. He's trying to teach them the correct way to do this. And, and if you'll notice that he, he says, 
in the, later on in the future generations, I want them to know these things. Well, men changed it. Men changed it. And what they taught their young people, the generations to come, was how to do it the wrong way. And it got accepted as the right way. Now, we have to be careful in that, in our Christianity today. We have so many different ideas, so many different beliefs, so many different philosophies, so many different interpretations of the Word of God. If we're not careful, we'll start majoring on minors and we'll forget the most important basic of our Christianity, and that's who our Savior is. I was just thinking there, it sounded like, sound like what <clears throat> a lot, lot's going on right now. Yes, sir. In this day. Yeah, there's, there's so many people focused on everything but Jesus Christ, His cross, and His resurrection. They're focused on everything but that. And that's what we got to get back to. we got to get to that point, and we got to stay there. And, and I, the sermons of, of, of salvation is always about Jesus Christ, because we can't save anybody. Our works can't save us. It's only through faith in Him. And a lot of people don't like that idea, that teaching. It's got to be done. You've got to do something to do that. No, you don't. You do something after you get that. And there's a big mix-up in it all. Mm -hmm. And that's what denominationalism brings us. It brings us the separation, not the unification. That's all i got to say about that tonight. All right. Somebody read for me verses 6 through 8. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You, sh uh, you shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do... You shall not do anything ordinary work. Okay, so the convocation meant that it was like the, the time of the Sabbath, no work. Okay, it, and that's, they keep bringing that up, and this is when the unleavened bread uh, started. Now, when why in, in the beginning did because this unleavened bread was something that they ate and they took from Egypt with them. Do y'all remember the reason for the unleavened bread? <laughs> they had to get ready and go quick. They didn't have time to add the leaving and let the bread rise. So when they wound up making the bread that they were going to have to eat for that service that night, because it, it came at that night, they had to have that bread ready to eat the meal and then to take with them because he said, get everything, remember what he said, get everything packed. Don't pull your clothes off. Don't take your shoes off. Because when it's time to go, you're going to leave. And the unleavened, they didn't have time to, to let the, the bread with leaving do is expanding and rising and all that good stuff. Now, that was the reason that the Lord had them to use unleavened bread. Somewhere through the years, the term of leaving became the same as the term for corruption. Okay? That it, it, it came that bread was leaving, and although everybody wanted the, the bread was leaving, it was a, right, a risen bread, and, and they ate it all the time. But that because of what happened here, 
the, the, the word of leaving became also a term of corruption. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He told his disciples, he said, beware of the leaving of the Pharisees. In other words, beware, because he even used that term himself, that the leaving of the Pharisees was a corruption that they had. And he wanted his disciples to be beware of that. He also told the people, he said, do what they tell you to do, but don't do as they do. So the leaving that he was talking about was a leaving of corruption. And this, this bread for them to uh, uh, use leaving and bread after that didn't matter. God didn't care. But for this time, no leaving. Flat cakes, flat wafers. And when he had them to do these, uh, this bread and these uh, offerings, uh, cooked offerings with the grain, it was unleavened then. And it, it looked like what we would call pancakes or flapjacks is what they used. And they would wave them. And then they would break them up in pieces and eat them is the way it was, uh, it was done. And so uh, this, this unleavened bread that he's talking about is, uh, uh, is, is would later on in the New Testament not stand for you gotta be ready to go, it's gonna stand for corruption. So that's what you gotta understand. When you read the New Testament, you see what Jesus, how he used the word leaving, it always stood for corruption, okay? Any questions about that? All of these, these things are going to surface in the New Testament during Christ's day, by the way. If you'll notice, after, after the Gospels, these type things are not mentioned very much anymore if they are just for a reference point. It's not for what, because once Jesus Christ died and, and people got saved by the Holy Ghost, these things didn't, weren't necessary anymore. Still not. Amen? Okay. Uh, somebody read for me verses 9 through... 14. We're going to read about the first fruits. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheep a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by the fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout the generations, your generations in all your dwellings. Now notice there where he said that it's going to be a statute forever throughout all your generations and all your dwellings. Uh, but, but what I want you to notice here is the Sabbath, the Passover, not even bread are, are, are feasts and rituals that he had them doing while they were in the wilderness. They could do these. Now if you'll notice about the first fruits, notice in verse 10 he says, this applies when you come into your land. Okay? They're not going to grow crops while they're in the wilderness, while they're marching across and going to the promised land. They wandered 40 years and didn't raise crops. Okay? And so they when and they weren't going to be able to raise crops until they, they crossed uh, the Jordan River and went into the land of Canaan. 
and they were going to inherit fields that were already planted, they were going to inherit cities that were already built, they were going to inherit vineyards that were already prospering, and, and, and all these things they were going to inherit. That's what the Lord had promised them. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But they had to take it first. And so he said, so this is going to happen when you come into the land uh, that I'm going to give you. And you, when you reap of the harvest thereof, you, the, the first thing you've got to do is when you take from the harvest is give to God. That's what the first fruit's about. You give him the first of all of it, okay? Now, why would he want the first fruit? What's the best part? The first one, isn't it? The first watermelon, oh, if you let it get right, Pete. <laughs> Pete, oh. Pete called me one time and said, Gary, I got a watermelon down here that weighs seven or eight pounds. He said, I'm gonna let you pull it. I'd give it in the seed. And I said, you sure tribe got to be seven or eighty pounds. I went down there and pulled that thing. He did, cut it in the green of the gourd. And the first three or four he pulled, I'm talking about 70 pound mountains or bigger. Big watermelons were green. I said, Pete, don't you pull nothing. I pull these, I ain't pulling nothing. You pull the next one. So, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so the first fruits are always the best. And so he said, uh, so uh, he said, I want you to bring me a sheaf. What is a sheaf? S-H-E-A-F. What is that? Y'all know what they are. You just never called them that before. How many ever saw peanuts in a field and with a string wrapped around them standing up? You ever seen that? How many ever seen corn stalks? The oats yes. and the wheat uh, yeah. bound together. So, so the sheep is nothing but the 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 <coughs> or the grain that's pulled together and bound up. And so he said, uh, he said, when you do this, the first one, the the uh, the sheep of the harvest shall you shall bring the sheep of the first fruit of your harvest unto the priest. Now, what's the priest going to do with it? He's going to wave it. That sounds silly to us, doesn't it? Does it? It does. Some of these things sound silly to us. Were they silly? <laughs> no, because God told them to do it this way. So there ain't nothing silly about it. So he said, uh, so bring your first fruits. And he said, he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. Look at the reason. To be accepted for you. Okay? Now, if you want this accepted, this is the way you're going to do it or it ain't going to be accepted. Fair enough? Sometimes when we read the Word of God, we don't like what He tells us to do sometimes. Do you like everything the Lord tells you to do? How many of you like humble pie? How many of you like to admit you're wrong? How many of you like to go to another person and apologize to them and then ask the Lord to forgive you? How many of you like that stuff? I didn't say have one hand up. It ain't no fun, is it? I hate, of all the pies in the world, I hate humble pie. But the Lord requires us to have that. We have to be humble. And in order to, to uh, get forgiveness, we have to ask for it. And sometimes we have to ask forgiveness to a person who's made us mad, and we give them a piece of our mind. It ain't wrong to be, be mad, but it is wrong to be mad and sin when you do it. To use our words to hurt another person. That's wrong. I have to do, I have to ask forgiveness for that all the time. Amen. And if you don't, me personally, if I don't, I feel horrible about it. That's our cue from God. We need to do it. 
when you feel that guilt and that shame. And that, that's called conviction. That's what that's all about. Have you ever done something and said, I wish I hadn't done that? Have you? Come on, y'all. I don't want to have that happen to. You Well, that's what conviction is. That's, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you do something that violates what God's asked you not to do, that's what it makes you feel like. And when we get callous to conviction, we get ourselves in a heap of trouble. Amen? We do. And until we succumb and humble ourselves and do what God requires of us, He ain't got much use for us after then. So you can drag that out as long as you want to with God. You can become an unusable vessel for Him. Because He don't want to use you because you're sinned and you won't, you won't take care of it and He's convicting you of it and you still won't. That's pride. That's arrogance. And it can lead to destruction of us. Okay? And so He says, uh, so He said, this sheaf is going to be waved before the Lord by the priest and it will be accepted for you. And then, then he talks about it on, on the Sabbath, and, uh, and you shall offer after that, not only do you give the first fruit of the wheat or the crop that you're growing, the plant that you're growing, then, uh, then you have to also offer a lamb. He says uh, in verse 12, and you shall offer that day when you weigh the sheep and lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering. So not only... Uh, the first fruits you have to, to offer the first of the crops, but you have to offer a lamb without blemish along with that. And then he says he adds more because the first fruits don't just involve uh, uh, just the crops. He said in the meat offering, now my, my Bible says meat offering here, my, when my Bible says that, it means it's actually talking about a grain offering. Okay? It's talking about a grain offering. So not only do you do the first fruit of the crop, but when you grind the grain <coughs> and make the, uh, the flour, uh, then you also give the first fruits of that part unto God. You see that? Because he says in the meat offering there shall be two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil. This is what they, my, the, old, uh, the King James Version calls the meat offering, and some of your other versions calls it a grain offering. And not only that, look at the, boy, this is, this is something for people that, that talk about drinking. And it says there's also a drink offering that goes along with that. Now, what does this drink offering consist of? Wine. It was wine that was given to the Lord. And so he says, uh, so he not only wanted them to share the crops that came with the lamb, but he also wanted them to do the flour that was made from the grain. And he also wanted them when they harvest the grapes and they they did the grape stomping and made the wine, the the first fruit of that. Now the thing about this is this is this is probably grape juice, uh, it, it, because it, it I don't know where it don't say where it had to be fermented. It's put in the wine skins and then he gets the first of that. It don't say, but it does say. He said the drink offering there shall be of wine. And the fourth part of a hen. That's how much it was supposed to be. It ain't talking about a chicken. It's talking about the amount of, of uh, wine. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched corn. And, and, and look at these things that he said you don't eat because you don't get to eat until you've given the Lord his part. Hmm. Now think about that. 
you don't get to eat. In verse 14, and you shall eat neither bread, nor part corn, nor green ears, until the self-same day that you have brought an offering unto your God. When you give him his part, now you can partake it. it the rest is yours. Think about that. Now, a lot of people, you know, uh, what does that tell us we need to do? We're supposed to pay God first. And what's left over is ours. Now, y'all know I don't ever preach about tithes and all that stuff because I'm, I'm a firm believer that if God got you, he got you. He got your money. And, and I never had to preach about it. You, you've always just given generously and, and, and abundantly and, and above and beyond. And so I don't ever preach that. But this, this scripture right here tells us whatever it be, that we that's the first fruit that we give unto, that we have we give to God first and then we have our part okay now what does that go along with in the New Testament what Jesus uh, teach seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and I'll give you the rest of it everything else be added to you that's the way He put it didn't He and so this is a picture right here of that that Christ is going to teach us later on. So that's still in effect today because that's what Christ taught us that we need to do. Seek Him first and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Okay? Any questions about this? Now we're going to come to another important one. Pentecost. Somebody read for me verses 15 oh my, through 22. Anyone. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephod. They shall be of of a fine flour baked with leaven at first fruits to the Lord. Along with bread you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect and a bull of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord, you shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs, one year old, for a sacrifice of peace offering. The priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with two lambs before the Lord. They are to be holy to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. When you, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your fields, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. Alien, I am the Lord God, your God. Okay, so he, he, he just gets through giving us the, the uh, uh, 
uh, the, the first fruits and what we're to do with the first fruits that we give. And now he mentions the word Pentecost. Anybody know what Pentecost means? It means 50. Pente. Pente. It means 50. And so 50 weeks, seven weeks of Sabbaths, and then on the 50th day, how much is seven weeks? 49 days. So on the 50th day, Pentecost is is what is when, and, and I want you to notice this, he gives them a growing season. He gives them a time to, to grow, harvest their first crop. Now how many of you know that if you raise something, you often get multiple pickings off of something. Everything is not ripe at the same time. So our growing season, uh, their growing season, according to the Lord here, was going to last seven weeks. And in that seven weeks, at the end of that seven weeks, which is uh, the time of harvest or the end of harvest, then he required them to have another celebration, which was he called Pentecost. And he also told them, he said, from, from the day that you brought the sheep of the, of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. That's 49 days. And then on the morrow, the 50th day, the number uh, shall, shall you number 50 days, and you shall offer a new meat offering. So not only did the Lord want the offering of the first fruits, he wants the offering of the last fruits. Now there's a picture that's forming here, whether you know it or not. And we're not talking about money either. We're talking about generations of people and the, the harvest of the field of people that Jesus talks about. The harvest is, is ripe, but the laborers are few. This is, this is where we're, the picture that we're looking at here, the time of the, of the planting and, and the time of the harvest is what, he's, what he wants you to see here. And so he says, this is the 50 days you shall bring out of your, you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves. So you weren't allowed to do this at home. You had to do it at the place of celebration that he had designated. And you're going to bring uh, uh, two tenths deals and, and uh, they're going to make uh, bread with leaven this time. You see that? In verse 17, now the bread is going to have leaven. There are first fruits unto the Lord, and you shall offer with the bread. Now look at this, not just one lamb now, but when you get through at, the, at this time, there's going to be seven lambs without blemish of the first year, one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings. So that, that included the, the flour offering also and the wine offerings also. And it said all this stuff will be, will be burnt by fire and will make a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall, after that, you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for the sacrifice of peace offering. So he says uh, you have uh, the, uh, the, the offerings of sacrifice and you have the offerings for peace. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. Now, what did he tell us a while ago the wave offering was for? For the Lord to accept it from you. It was for your benefit, okay? And then he says there will be the holy convocation. All of these seven Sabbaths was to be holy, just like they, they were. They could work all those other days, but these, these Sabbath days, every one of them was to be holy. Some of these holidays had two of them. This particular one has seven in it. 
where they were to be uh, have the holy conversation. You shall do no sober work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Now, why is this important in the New Testament? What happened in the New Testament at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. That was the celebration that was going on during this. And, and, and notice this. From the, the, the first fruits to a great time of harvest where he wanted his part. The, the Pentecost was the great time of harvest where people came from all over the world again to Jerusalem to celebrate this great event. They brought the stuff, and they, they bought the stuff, and it was all this stuff that was given, all these sacrifices they were talking about. It was on this day where the, 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 the harvest that the Holy Spirit was poured out by the Lord in the upper room. That was the day, that's the reason he picked this day. Why? Because on that one day, there was 3,000 people saved in the streets. When, the, when, the, when the, the Holy Ghost fell, when the, the sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind that appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire that led upon each one of them and they began to speak, uh, speak other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance and they were devout Jews from every nation out in the street that heard them speak and understood what they said. They, they were speaking in the languages of these people. That's the reason the tongues were used because he was speaking to those people. They had already received the Holy Spirit. He was speaking to these people in the streets now because they needed the Holy Spirit. And when they got their attention by this, they looked up and that's when Peter stood out and preached to them that this was the prophecy of Joel that was fulfilled, that in, my, in the last days, harvest, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now the harvest began on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. The harvest will end when Christ comes back for us all. Amen? So the time of harvest, the time of Pentecost, a lot of people think, well, that went away and, and, and we just got it back. No, that, that's never gone away, nor will it go away. The time of harvest is here. And it's not a harvest to kill people, it's a harvest to save people through Christ Jesus. And that's where we come in. That's why what we labor for, we're supposed to be working in the field of people that are ripe for harvest. And there's not enough of us. Amen? Okay, any questions about this Pentecost thing? This is a, another one of the, the, the celebrations that he's teaching them. It, it, now, he's teaching this in the wilderness before the Israel ever got a country to live in. It's amazing, isn't it? How far ahead God is. Now, he's even further than that at that time. We just can't be aware of it. He's so far ahead, we can't even understand how far ahead he does have control of everything. And so, this is, this is what he, he's talking about and showing us about Pentecost in the 50th week and it was celebrated at that time and the event of the New Testament was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that day. Alright, and in verse 22, what's he telling them to do there? He said, when you reap 
He said, don't pick the corners of the field. What's this for? For the cleaners. Do we see evidence of that in Scripture? Absolutely. Who was one of the greatest gleaners we know about? Ruth. Yeah. And Boaz on the field, and remember he had them to pick a little extra, and he said, pick a little extra of the good stuff and leave way in there for her. You remember that? That's a cool story. But did, when Jesus and his disciples walked through that cornfield somebody was talking about a while ago, guess what they were doing? They were gleaning. That wasn't their field, but it was left for them because the instruction was to leave it uh, for the poor and the stranger. Okay? So they, they were, it, it's amazing how far ahead back then God made the rule that Jesus would benefit from as he walked the earth. We got a great God, don't we? Amen. He got it all planned out for us, y'all. What we got to do is obey and do what he's asked us to do. And he, he'll take good care of us. Amen? Amen. Any questions about this for the gleaners and the, and the Pentecost? All right, we got time to do a, one more. It's a short one. We're going to talk about the trumpet blow. Woo, I love this one. Somebody read for me verses uh, 23 through 25. Brother Sam, that's yours. Three verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. All right. So this is one that back then I bet they thought, why in the world do we got to blow a trumpet? Well, he's so far ahead of them, though. Let me tell you what. This right here has significant meaning. What did they do when they encountered Jericho? Y'all remember? Marched around seven years. around it. And then blew the trumpet. And then on the seventh day, go around it seven times and blow the trumpet seven times. And what happened? The walls fell down. The walls fell down. When Gideon, his little 325 men, surrounded hundreds of thousands and they broke the lanterns, what did they do? They blew the trumpets. Amen. Why? Not because 300 feet to kill all these people, because God coming. Amen? Does that have any New Testament significance? Woo. One of these days, we're going to hear a trumpet. Amen? And when that trumpet sounds, guess what's happening? Woo, glory. The dead in Christ. There's going to be a resurrection. Amen? It's going to be a beautiful time. The, the New Testament shows us this. I, I, got, to, I got to get y'all here. We've got to read this. We're going to close. We're going to end this, this, uh, this letter, the, tonight's study on these two scriptures right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 52. If you get to it before I do, just read it. In a moment, I hear that. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead 
shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Amen. Well, the Corinthians ain't the only ones he told that to. Let's look in the First Thessalonians now. In chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 16, listen to what he says here. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, this is Jesus, with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Woo, glory. Listen to me. When Christ comes back, you're going to hear this trumpet. You want to know what this this feast of the trumpets and the blowing of the trumpets was all about? It's to tell them something. It's to tell us something even today that he's going to come when that trumpet sounds. Amen. Jesus said, I just read it today. I studied it today. He said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Not a man, not an angel in heaven. He said, I don't even know myself, but my Father knows that day. And he left us instruction for that trumpet sound. When he got through telling them he didn't know when it was going to be, he said, but let me tell you this, watch and pray because you don't know what day he'll come. You know what he's telling us? Live every day like it's today. If we live every day like it's today, we're going to hear that trumpet sound. We're going to hear that shout. If we're dead, we're still going to hear that trumpet sound. Amen? That's the promise. When that trumpet sounds, the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise. And how did it say that we're going to rise? Do you remember? In you know what that means, A.D.? Yes, sir, brother. It means it don't make no difference if they drain all the blood out of it. If they put embalming fluid in you, it don't make any difference if you if you're in a in a cre been cremated and in a jug. It don't make no difference if they threw you in the ocean and the fish ate your body. You're fixing to come alive. Amen. You're gonna rise and you're not gonna be ugly. <laughs> well, that's gonna be a blessing for a lot of us, ain't it? You're not going to stink. You're not going to be defiled. You're not going to be rotted. You're going to have a beautiful, perfect body. And I pray God for that. Me and Mitchell want that, don't we, Mitchell? I want the body that Jesus Christ is going to give me. But I got to wait and watch and pray. And I got to hear and listen for that trumpet to sound. Amen. Amen. The feast of trumpets. They didn't have a clue why they had to blow that trumpet, but we know it was a symbol to us that one of these days, because the Holy Ghost had been poured out on Pentecost and the harvest is ready, and when the harvest is fully ripe, the Bible says that there's going to come a time when the time of the Gentiles are going to be fulfilled. And look out. Here he's coming. Amen. I want to be ready, don't you? I want to hear that trumpet. I want to hear that shout. If I'm in the group, men and Anita just got through paying for our, our funerals. Amen. Just got through. Y'all, when, when our headstone comes in, I want y'all to all come look at it. We're going to have a headstone party when that thing comes in. We designed it today. You want to have a trumpet on it? No. I, I wish, if I hadn't talked this with, uh, before, that might have. But it's, it's, uh, it, it don't make any difference. All that's going to mean nothing. It's going to burn with everything else. 
But who's inside there? People who have saved their bodies. Our bodies are important to us. We take a lot of time with our bodies. Other than I am, I spend more time throwing my hair than you can imagine. They ain't got none. And our soul's gonna be departed if we're in that grave. But when that trumpet sounds, we're gonna zap right back together just like Jesus did in that Amen. Time. And we're gonna rise incorruptible, holy, pure, ready for heaven. When that trumpet sounds, we're just standing. Hmm. I talk been here tonight. Don't get the ones we mentioned in prayer. We be praying for one another. We got to do that, and uh, and let's continue to to worship our God and and think about it. it could be tonight when you hear that trumpet sound. What would what would you do if I snuck around and got a trumpet? Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> that that's happened before. Yeah, there was a preacher one time preaching a sermon about the blowing of the trumpet and the, and the Lord coming back, and they didn't know it. We had a fella come up outside, and he went blowing that trumpet, and them people got happy in that church, I'm telling you. <laughs> Amen. It was a false alarm, and it was a trick, but it helped them to think, am I really ready for this? Because when it blows, there ain't going to be no getting ready. You better even, you already better be ready. If you're not, it's going to be a sad thing. Amen. Do you, do you think the, the sinners will hear the trumpet? I don't know. I don't if, know. They, if they do, they'll say it's the trumpet's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Brother A.D., would you just miss it, please? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege of coming tonight to learn from your word. Thank you, Almighty God, for your promises that you've made to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can have in our heart a hope, O oh God, that that day is coming that we will hear that trumpet sound, Lord. We must watch and be aware, Lord, and be ready for your coming back to get your church. Thank you, Almighty God, for those that were mentioned tonight that need healings. By the promise of your word, whatsoever we ask in Jesus' name, shall be done, Lord. We ask you to heal these people completely and fully as only you can. We thank you, Almighty God, for the blessings, for the many things that you've forgiven us for, for your mercy, your grace, your goodness to us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk the straight and narrow, to walk in the light that you provided for us. Help us, O oh God, to reach out to the Son <laughs> in this world that might be reached and might know that there is a better way than what this world is offering. Thank you, Almighty God, for the teachers that we have, the many prophets, kings, <coughs> the apostles, O oh God, the many people that have come, the teachers, the pastors, that have tried to reach out to your people. Help us, Lord to believe you, to lean on you, and somehow share this light with other people. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.